This is the Sun Also Rises podcast here on KPCG. I'm Jeremiah Jacques, and I'd like to begin today's show by asking you a few questions that might seem a little out of left field at first, but I think it won't take you too long to see where this is leading. First, why is it that the Wednesday before Thanksgiving always feels so much like a Friday? And here's a related question. Why is it that most TV shows and radio shows like this one are broadcast every seven days instead of every four or five days or instead of every nine or ten? And here's one more. Why is it easy enough to mistake a Tuesday for a Wednesday, but it's almost impossible to mistake a Sunday for a Monday? These questions all point to something that is central to your life and to mine. It's always there, it's universal, and it influences hundreds of the decisions that we make every single day. Yet many of us don't know how it came about or how it came to occupy such a foundational place in our lives. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the week. The week is deeply entrenched in our lives. In fact, it's so deeply entrenched that we often just take it for granted. We basically think that we live our lives in weeks because we live our lives in weeks. That's just how it is. But I think it's worth asking why. How did the week get here, and how did it become the universal backbeat in the rhythm of human life? For most major measurements of time on our calendars, they're determined by what happens in the skies above us. The year, for example, that length of time is determined by how long it takes our planet to make one full revolution in its orbit around the sun. That takes about 365 days, and that's how long our year is. There's no mystery about how the year originated. It just happened naturally in our solar system. It's simple math. And the month is also automatically determined by what happens in the skies. The month is based on the amount of time required for our moon to complete its cycle. The lunar cycle is close to 30 days long, so our months are about that long too. No mystery there. And then the unit of time we call the day. That's the most visible and automatic of all rhythms of human life. And it's just the amount of time that the Earth takes to complete one full rotation as it spins on its axis. That rotation takes 24 hours, therefore, the day is 24 hours long. It's just automatic. There's no mystery with the year, the month, or the day. But what about the week? Is there anything that happens up in the skies every seven days? And if not, why do pretty much all people live their lives to the rhythm of the week? Once you see the answers to those questions, I think you'll be very inspired and uplifted because it's something that can help us to better understand our world and our place in it. Before we discuss the week's true origins, I'd like to quickly address the two main false explanations of its origins. The first false explanation for the existence of the week is called the visible celestial bodies theory. This theory says that if you don't have a telescope, 
then there are seven different celestial bodies visible in our solar system. There's the Sun and the Moon, and then you can also see Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. All seven of those would have been visible to early stargazers who had no telescopes. So this theory basically says that people looked up, they counted the visible celestial bodies and saw that there were seven, and so they made the week seven days long. Now, it is true that on our modern calendars, in some languages, the days of the week are named after visible celestial bodies. Sunday is named after the sun, Monday is named after the moon, and so on. And it's also true that ancient societies often named the visible celestial bodies after their various gods. Saturn, for example, was one of the gods in ancient Rome, and Saturday is named after him. But this theory does not hold water because the facts of history prove very solidly that the seven-day week was in existence and widely practiced long before the days of the week ever came to be associated with those ancient gods. I read a book recently called The Origins of the Seven-Day Week. It's by a man named Dr. Aviatar Zerubavel. And Dr. Zerubavel does an excellent job of disproving the visible celestial bodies theory. I'll just read an excerpt. He says, While the Chaldean origin of astrology is indisputable, there is no evidence that an actual astrological seven-day cycle ever existed in ancient Mesopotamia. Sabbath observance had been established long before the astrological week ever came into being. It preceded both the association between the day of Saturn and the Sabbath, and the naming of the planet after the latter. And it doesn't take much digging into history to see that Dr. Zerubbabel is exactly right about this. The association between celestial bodies, pagan gods, and the days of the week didn't happen until centuries after civilizations around the world were already living their lives to the rhythm of the week. So the visible celestial bodies theory does not explain where the week really came from. The other popular but incorrect explanation for the week is called the divided lunar cycle theory. This says that ancient people invented the week by dividing up the time of the cycle of the moon. The moon cycle is about 29 and a half days long, and proponents of this theory say that ancient people took that lunar cycle and chopped it up into four equal parts. And then voila, there was the seven-day week. And we've all been living our lives to a seven-day rhythm ever since. Well, that sounds pretty reasonable at first glance, but there are some problems with this theory. First, this divided lunar theory does not explain the fact that in almost all societies throughout the ages the week has been seven days long. Not all of them, as we'll discuss a little later, but almost all of them, well over 95%. And if you want to divide up a lunar month, there are all kinds of different ways you could do it. You could have three weeks in which each week is 10 days long. You could have five weeks with each one being about six days long. You could have six weeks with each one being five days long or all kinds of other variations. 
So why would early societies, basically all, choose to divide the lunar cycle by four? That number is entirely arbitrary. Other major units of time, the day, the month, and the year, those are all based on complete astronomical cycles. They're based on complete naturally recurring events that are clearly visible in the skies. But the divided lunar cycle explanation for the week is built on a man-made arbitrary division. The second problem with the divided lunar theory is that if you divide the lunar cycle by 7, so 29.53 days divided by 7, you get four weeks, that's fine, but there's a remainder. Those four weeks only account for 28 days of the lunar cycle. So you end up having about one day and 13 hours left over. Dr. Zerubavel says that this remainder exposes this theory as false. He writes, One of the most distinctive features of the week is the fact that it is entirely disassociated from the lunar cycle. It is essentially defined as a precise multiple of the day, quite independently of the lunar month. Any subdivision of the lunar month necessarily involves some mathematically inconvenient remainder of hours, minutes, and seconds. A precise quarter of the lunar cycle, for example, amounts to 7.38625 days. And any week of that length would necessarily have to begin at different times of the day each week. So the divided lunar cycle theory does not explain why the seven-day week is nearly universal in human societies any better than the visible celestial bodies theory does. They both sound reasonable enough at first glance, but when you dig into them, they really don't hold up to scrutiny. So where did the seven-day week come from? Dr. Zerubavel does an excellent job in his book of disproving those two prevailing theories for the origin of the week, and then he goes on to form his conclusion, which is to say that it was invented by ancient Israel, and that it then spread out into the whole world from ancient Israel. But there's also a problem with that explanation. The trouble with that theory is that biology and the biological processes that happen inside each of us show that the seven-day week predates all societies. Experts have long known that our bodies operate on daily rhythms and monthly rhythms and annual rhythms, but chronobiologists have only recently discovered that we also operate on seven-day rhythms. There's a book called The Secrets Our Body Clocks Reveal by Jim Dawson and Susan Perry, and they prove that our blood pressure cycle and our coping hormone cycles and our immune responses to infections and the cycle at which we produce blood and certain urine chemicals, and even our heartbeat, all of these operate on a seven-day pattern. There's also research conducted and published by Franz Halberg, and that proves that the seven-day cycle governs not only fundamental aspects of people's lives, but also in the lives of many animals from rats and guinea pigs to honeybees and beetles. 
research by Dr. Halberg, as well as that by Dawson and Perry and others, has not found any biological cycles in between the daily and monthly ones that occur in four days or five days or six days, or in eight days or nine days or ten days, but only in seven days. The ones they keep on turning up all occur in seven days, and they're finding that so many biological cycles happen on that seven-day rhythm. A guinea pig can't tell the difference between the Talmud and the Huffington Post. So if the seven-day week had been invented by people, as historians such as Dr. Zerubbabel say, then what would explain all of these biological seven-day rhythms? The week's true origins are completely oblivious to seasons, tides, orbits, and every other aspect of external nature. There's nothing in the sky with the planets or stars or moon that happens in seven days. There's no astronomical reason for the week, and science proves that the seven-day cycle is also etched deeply into mankind's DNA. So that shows that it could not have been a man-made invention. Many have tried to come up with secular explanations for the week's origins, but it cannot be done because the week was created by God. The first two chapters of the book of Genesis detail God's recreation of the earth. This account shows that this recreation was completed in seven days, with the Creator working for six days and then resting on the seventh. And the biblical account says people should follow this pattern too. We're supposed to work for six days and then rest on every seventh. In part, this is kind of an eternal tribute to God's recreation and rest. So almost as a byproduct of the work God accomplished during the seven days of recreation, He also created the week. That's where the week comes from. When we come back, we'll talk a little about some societies that have tried to ignore the seven-day week and to do away with it, and we'll see how it went for them. You're listening to The Sun Also Rises on KPCG. We'll be right back. of this vast universe are possible, creation or evolution. And yet, the existence of a creator and the doctrine of evolution oppose each other. They cannot coexist. It seems many, regardless of which source of origins they believe in, more or less assume their beliefs. Many have also been swept into their beliefs based on the circles in which they have lived or associated. In general, the beliefs of peoples on this most important subject have been established without proof. Could this have happened to you? Is it even intelligent to believe in a creator? Was mankind the product of millions of years of evolutionary forging? Regardless of which, should we accept our views on blind faith? People generally believe what they are willing to accept 
and most are not willing to prove either. Is there a way to irrefutably prove either possibility of origins? Evolution has been pushed onto the educational community as if it were fact. But does evolution stand up to an objective examination of the facts? And will you accept the challenge to find the proof of the Holy Bible? Proof in the God of creation? Proof that the Holy Bible is the inspired revelation from the all-knowing, all-powerful maker of the universe? Our booklet, Does God Exist? examines these vital questions and, also, the stunning answers. Download or order it for free at our website, thetrumpet.com, today. Welcome back to The Sun Also Rises here on KPCG. In today's episode, we're talking about the weak, the nearly ubiquitous backbeat in the rhythm of human life. In the first half, we showed that unlike the other major measurements of time on our calendars, the week is not determined by any astronomical process or cycle. Those other calendar units, the year, the month, the day, they're determined by the heavenly bodies, but the week was determined by the heavenly Father. One fascinating thing about the week is that it is basically universal. In virtually every nation and civilization on the planet, throughout all chapters of human history, you'll find people living out their lives to the rhythm of the week. We take for granted that all around the world everyone uses a seven-day week, but that has not always been the case, and in some places, it's not even the case right now. There are some isolated pockets of peoples in the Democratic Republic of the Congo that still apparently operate in weeks that are only about three days long or four days long. And then there are also the Igbo people of Nigeria who operate on a four-day week. Their calendar has four days per week, seven weeks per month, and 13 months per year. And many of them apparently still adhere to this calendar. And there are some other isolated cultures around the world, too, who have calendars with abbreviated variations on the seven-day theme. The explanation for these variations is that Noah, the patriarch who lived way back in the 24th century BCE, he knew all about the seven-day week. After the great flood that he lived through, Noah would have taught his children and grandchildren about the week and about the Sabbath. But not too long after that flood, when the languages were confounded at Babel, the people all split into separate nations and migrated to disparate locations all over the planet. As the generations passed, many of these peoples forgot and rejected a lot of what they'd been taught by Noah, including the correct length of a week. But I think it's interesting that none of these societies forgot the general concept of the week. They only altered the specifics of how long it was. So those examples all talk about a week that is shorter than seven days. But what about a week that's longer than seven days? Well, people have tried that too. Do you hear the people singing the song of angry men? It is the music of a people 
Back in 1793, just after a vital phase of the French Revolution, the people of France adopted a week that was 10 days long. This was part of the famous calendar that the revolutionaries instituted. It's called the Republican calendar. The revolutionaries wanted to make France less of a Christian country, and they also wanted to make it more economically productive. So they said, hey, we can kill two birds with one guillotine if we do away with the old Christian seven-day week and replace it with a nice, metric system-friendly, productivity-boosting 10-day week. Around that same time, the French also established a new clock in which the day was divided into 10 hours instead of 24 hours. And each hour had 100 minutes, and each minute had exactly 100 seconds. So it was exactly 100,000 seconds per day. The revolutionaries were serious about turning the world upside down and starting over. And it seems like they were eager to change every aspect of life they could. But after changing the week to 10 days long, the revolutionaries were disappointed to see that productivity did not increase. In fact, rates of work-related injuries went through the roof, and so did rates of absenteeism due to illness and exhaustion. Even the animals that they used for work were collapsing and dying at astounding rates. There's a book called The World of the French Revolution by R.R. Palmer that explains the disappointing results of the 10-day week in a lot of detail. And it's a very interesting read. It explains that the results were so disappointing that after just 12 years, the French ended up abandoning their 10-day week. They went back to the old tried-and-true 7-day week, which they still use to this day. Other societies have conducted similar weak extension experiments, but like the French, they all reverted back to the seven-day model within a short time. These experiments did not work out because the seven-day week was made for man. In Mark chapter 2, it says, the Sabbath was made for man. And then Leviticus 23 says, six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest, and you shall do no work therein. That's verse 3. So it was not just the Sabbath, but the entire seven-day week that was actually made for men. The command to labor for six days is every bit as clear as the command to rest on the seventh. And it's also important to note that this model is not just for Jews or just for Israelites. It says it is for man. That means all mankind. That's the length of time we were designed to live our lives by. That lets us achieve the most without compromising our health. If you shorten the week to something less than seven days, as in the case of the Congolese peoples or the Nigerian Igbo, you end up reducing your economic and cultural output. A shorter week means more rest days, which means fewer work days. The result is a society that does not produce or achieve as much as it otherwise might. Then on the other extreme, 
If you make a week longer than seven days like the French did, it places an unsustainable strain on workers and even on animals. We are not only told to rest on the seventh day, but also to work on the first six days. That's what we were designed to do. That's the rhythm of life we were engineered to live by. If we do more or less than this, penalties are inevitable. So it's very interesting to me that even in purely physical terms, there are some fascinating proofs that the seven-day rhythm of life will lead to maximum health and productivity. Well, I hope that this episode has helped you to better understand where the week really came from and how it became such a foundational part in our lives. And the next time you're looking up into the night sky, marveling at the stars and the other celestial bodies, you might look at the moon and consider how man has patterned the month after its cycle. Or you might consider the rotation or revolution of the earth and think of how that has given us the day and the year. But don't waste your time searching the cosmos for any pattern that explains the seven-day week. The week was created by God. I'm Jeremiah Jacques, and we're coming to the end of The Sun Also Rises here on KPCG, 101.3 on the FM dial here in Edmond, Oklahoma. And the live stream is available anywhere in the world if you just type kpcg.fm into your internet browser. We really appreciate you listening today, and we hope that you will give us your feedback and comments. Just email tsar at kpcg.fm. And if you liked this episode, please consider giving us a rating and a review on iTunes. It'll help other people to find the podcast. I would like to thank the KPCG operations manager, Dwight Falk, and the production assistant, Abraham Blondeau. And I'll leave you with the words of the Polish-American rabbi and writer, Abraham Heschel. Six days a week we wrestle with the world, wringing profit from the earth. On the Sabbath, we try to dominate the self. Sabbaths are our great cathedrals that neither the Romans nor the Germans were able to burn. Well, thank you again, and please tune in again next Thursday for another episode of The Sun Also Rises. Thank you.